Father, this morning we just come to you, we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your goodness. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We know, Lord, you are with us. We know, Lord, you are for us. And therefore we can proclaim and confess who can be against us. Thank you, Lord. Pray your hand would be upon all your children wherever they are, especially with Brother David as he is going for his angel, Lord. I pray your hand would be upon him. Touch him. Heal him. Be with his wife, Bina, Lord, Sister Bina. Strengthen her. We know he will come through it stronger than before. Be with the children, Lord, in the home. And I ask for prayer. I pray, Lord, you would touch them, Lord. I know she's a young spiritual mother to so many children, so many children, special needs children. I pray, Lord, some of them are not well. I pray, Lord, reach out and touch them. They are special children to you. All those who are hurting, wounded in the soul, sick in their bodies, you are the healer. Bring to your remembrance your word. I send forth your word. I pray, Lord, that you would heal them. The body, heal the broken heart, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Speak to us now, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I hope you did your homework. Homework is important when you are in a classroom. That you remember about Ehud. Ehud was the judge that God raised. We had looked at one part of what God did with him. We'll turn back to Judges chapter 3 and verses 11 to 22. 11 verses we will look. <clears throat> so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So we see whenever there was a judge, we know that. And the people listened to the judge or the judgments of God through that person. There was rest. That's a simple thing. Okay. Ultimately, as we looked yesterday, we move from rest to rest, from faith to faith. And the thing is that if you are walking by faith, you have rest. Your, your outside circumstances doesn't matter. It could be the worst possible. I mean, you can't think, I can't think of anything for a man like Paul who was a very in a coveted position in the Jewish society when he began. No, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, intellectual giant, to be stripped naked in a public place by Gentiles, flogged, and for doing nothing wrong, for delivering a girl of a demonic spirit, and then thrown into prison, legs stuck. They don't even have been given this common courtesy of even able to lie down lie down. If your legs are put locked up in stocks, it's not possible to lie down. It's very difficult. Okay, It's very difficult, especially if it goes on like this. You can't bend down. Your feet will be very painful. So they are humiliated. They are flogged. They are thrown into prison. Their legs are locked up in stocks. Then what you see is them praising God. That's rest. That's what the Bible is talking about. But of course, in the book of Judges and all, that rest is more like physical. 
Okay, they had to win over their physical enemies to have complete control of their physical circumstances before they could have rest. In the new covenant, God takes it to a different plane altogether. Even if you have no control over your enemies outside, you can have perfect rest in God, knowing that he is in control. That's what faith does. That's why the Bible says if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have promised that there is another day that had God said. No, so Joshua did not really give them rest. It was a physical rest, but inside they were still restless. Things went wrong. In the land of rest, they could be restless. But we, in the land of restlessness, we have rest. And we have a, a, a scientific term connected with nature. It's called the eye of the storm. In the eye of the storm, you see that picture of the storm. It's perfect calm. It's perfect calm. That's called the eye of the storm. And that's where... Paul and Silas are seated. They are seated in the eye of the storm. Perfect calm. Result, like we are seeing from the book of <coughs> Nehemiah, the gates of praise are absolutely, solidly in place. They are singing and they are praising God. So <coughs> we come to judges and you see they had rest. As long as we are walking by faith, we have rest. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, who went and defeated Israel, took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man, by him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged and a cubit in length and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. Then he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now we were sitting upstairs in his school, private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Okay, yeah. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Okay? This is the word of God. It's gory. Okay? Parental guidance rating because of violence. Gory violence. Okay? PG rating this portion has. Okay? Okay? So when mothers read for the little children, if they ask what it is, all that he ate came out. That's all you have to say. <laughs> Okay, so so we see the the pattern when we do evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, because now what is happening is people are not doing evil because they are calling evil as good. But even if you call good, change the labels, the product doesn't change. The product is still the same. You put palatable instead of poison, you will still die. Okay, you'll still die. So they are doing Evil in the sight of good. You know why? Because the, the, the two verses in the book of Judges, each one thought he was king. There was no king in the land. 
So each one did what he was fit. Each one, that is what we call today that uh, relative truth. Okay, you live by relative. What is good for you is good for you. What is good for me is good for me. And you know what? You start doing evil in the sight of God. And what happened? God hands them over. God hands them over. That's what we see. God hands them over. Whom does he hand them over? He hands them over to Eglon. Okay, he hands them over to Eglon. He's the king of Moab. And who does he do? He gathers all the others. Three kings he gathers. And if you look at many, many of these kings, they all come from Abraham's line. And these are all products of flesh. There's one son which God promised Abraham, which was Isaac. And then he produced many in the flesh. There was a Esau, there was a Amalek, there was a Midian, all this. Okay, Amalek, of course, comes from uh, Esau. Esau, okay? So you will see there are many, many children that come down from the line. Flesh produces its own children. Flesh produces its own children. So he gathers... Okay, and what happens? He gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel. Now, Israel has been defeated. Spirit has been defeated by flesh. Has been defeated by flesh. That's not the way it should be. Spirit should be prevailing because your spirit is born of God. Israel that prevailed with God and man has lost, prevailed. And what did he do? He took the possession of the city of Palms. Okay, so you know what happens if you go to Deuteronomy 34 and verse 3. 34 and verse 3. The south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms. So which is the city of Palms? The city of Palms is Jericho. Okay, so Eglon comes over there. He comes and takes over Jericho. And he establishes regional capital at Jericho. Okay. Now we know what it means. Okay. If you have forgotten, let us refresh our ministry. Our, not ministry, our memory. We should refresh our ministry also once in a while. Okay. Refresh our memory. What happens when you do not walk in the spirit? What happens when you are not led by the spirit? The flesh starts overpowering us. The flesh starts establishing a stronghold and it starts ruling us from this stronghold called Jericho. Like God talks about the power of the first love. Go back to your first love and do the things, the power of the first love. There is also the power of the first or the foremost of obstacles. Okay, it's that power. You need to realize when Israel had crossed River Jordan, was going to take possession of the land. They had to take over the first and the biggest block is Jericho. It is. So that is the biggest block. And that is our biggest block. We have to identify what is the biggest block in my life. If I have to take possession of the, of the life that Christ is promising, the victorious life over my enemies. What is the biggest block? You know what the biggest block is? The biggest block is not any of the sins we do. The biggest block is the sin of unbelief. Everything else is secondary. 
everything. That's why yesterday we looked in the morning. Believe, 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 believe. Jesus is keeping on telling them, believe, believe, believe in God, believe in me, believe in my word. All things are possible to him with that believe. The biggest block is unbelief. Unbelief is a fortress. And its picture is there in Jericho, uh, sorry, Joshua 6, verse 1, and then verse 2. Verse 1 says, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. That's the nature of unbelief. It will not allow anything of God in. Anything. And you look at, uh, I've met unbelievably, incredibly intellectual atheists. And you would think that. How is it possible they cannot believe? How is it possible they cannot believe? They are, and they teach from the Bible, <laughs> and they don't see God anywhere. They don't see God anywhere. Okay, that's this fortress of unbelief. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. Unless we tackle this, unless we tackle this, we are not going to win because that is where flesh has Establish its fortress. Why does flesh rule? Why? Because Jericho is strong. Jericho is strong. Flesh has its own stronghold and its biggest stronghold is Jericho. But in verse 2, God says, I have given. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of all. I have given you Jericho. I have given you Eglon. I have given you. You will win over Jericho. I have given it to you, but you have to fight. You have to fight. If you look in Hebrews 11 and verse 30, if you see Jericho has the citadel of unbelief, how do you, what is the antidote for unbelief? Only belief. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down and after they were encircled for seven days. You see, the first lesson Israel got was the most important lesson. They didn't have to fight Jericho. The army didn't come out. They didn't have to shatter the walls or anything. God says, you know what? The first battle you will fight in your life is the most important battle you have to win. It's the battle against unbelief. And it can be won only by faith. There's no other way. What is the opposite of unbelief? Belief. There's nothing else. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. There is no antidote to this. There is no other way. If the walls of Jericho has to come down, it will not be by any human tricks. It will not be by learning more or fasting more or praying more. All that can help you, but it will not bring the walls down. You want the walls to come down, it will be only by faith and faith alone. You have to believe what God has said. And he says, if you believe, all things are possible to you. You will overcome. So this is the first citadel. And God has already pronounced judgment over Jericho. In Joshua 6 and verse 17, you will see an incredible picture there and also about the judgment. Now the city shall be doomed by the law to destruction. Meaning you cannot keep remnants of unbelief. I will believe this and I will not believe that. No, that's what has happened. One of the major reasons of the weakness of Christianity Weakness of Christianity, especially in the Christian world, is done by good people. That is the cessationists. They said, these things have ceased. Who told you? Yet the same Bible you read says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Why did you shorten the hand of God by your unbelief? And they are good people. They are not bad people. They are very good people. And then the other side, cessationists, they are not cessationists. 
the hand of God still works. But they only know the hand of God. They did not focus on the ways of God. Ways of God. You see, in all these places, they had, both groups had unbelief. Okay? And we we are trying to, I'm not saying we are perfect, we are nowhere close to it, but we are trying to balance. That's why we have to try to practice ministry the way Jesus said. He said what? Go preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead. That's what we do. We preach the word of God and we have ministry at the end. Preach the word of God and we minister at the end. Preach the word of God and minister. We cannot heal anybody. We cannot deliver anybody. But everyone who believes that God is speaking to them and God, they hear the voice of God is healed and can be delivered. Okay? If you are not delivered, you just go back and see, Lord, what are the blocks in my life? What is stopping my deliverance? So this is the pattern Jesus did. He preached, he delivered. He preached, he delivered. That is the pattern so that you have both, both functioning together. But if you take it off, what will happen is that Jericho will, walls will be there or half of Jericho's walls will standing. No, God says the city is doomed by the law to destruction. It and all who are in it within the walls of unbelief, there are much large crowd is there. Very large crowd is there. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. And who would pick harlot to live? Okay, now look at this thing. You know, When Saul goes, he makes Agag the king of Amalek live. But when God moves, he says the harlot will live. Why? Because she believed. So when you believe, it does not matter who you are. And if you turn to the book of James, if I am right in uh, James chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, it's an incredible Incredible portion. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. She believed. And therefore, she did something. Faith has its work. But the incredible part of it is not this. The incredible part that if you read the preceding verses, Rahab is put on par with Abraham. And who is Abraham? The father of faith. And who is Rahab, the prostitute, a Gentile prostitute in the city of Jericho? God says, you know what? Faith is an equalizer. It is an equalizer. It's an incredible equalizer. And when I go into these rural areas and when I talk to those simple people, I say that. No, I said, just think about it. If God had said, faith comes from studying, how many of you can read? And they'll say, we can't read. Can't read. Most of them can't read. Faith comes from working. How many of you can work? Faith comes from having an accumulation of wealth. How many of you have money? Nothing. Listen, God is God is so gracious. He says faith comes from hearing. Can everybody hear? Yes. Even the deaf can hear with Braille. They can hear. Can you hear? God says yes. You can hear. That's all it takes. You know? And Abel worshipped by faith. And I told them, how many of you can sing? No. How many can play a musical instrument? No. That's Bible say you need all that to worship? He says no. All you need is faith. Everywhere you will see faith is an equalizer. It brings people down to the same level. It could be the most accomplished artist, musical artist in the world. And then you have somebody who's off the streets who doesn't have a voice at all, but he can worship probably better than you. You know why? All he has to bring is faith. So whether it is worship, whether it is walk with God, whether it is work with God, whether it is life with God, you know what's the equalizer? The equalizer is faith. And you know what stands against it? 
Jericho stands against it. The city of unbelief. And God had said, the city is doomed. So remember where Eglon has put his headquarters. If you come to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26, it is not only doomed, it is also cursed. Okay, Joshua charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with its firstborn and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. He says, cursed is anybody who builds back. And I, I always, see, I, have, I do not have issues with backsliders. See, backsliding does not mean they don't believe. They are weak. But when people say, I don't believe anymore. They are rebuilding Jericho again. I don't believe anymore. They are rebuilding Jericho again. And you know what? You need to be very, very careful. Very, very careful. I don't believe anymore. Now what the Bible says, Cursed is the man before the Lord who raises up and builds this city. Builds this city. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn. And with his youngest he shall set up its gates. And that's the judgment. So when we walk in unbelief, we allow flesh to rule. And who becomes king? Eglon becomes king. And he rules from the city of unbelief. You know, there's another, we, we all know it, but the people who are listening. We talk about Ahab and Jezebel, the spirit of Ahab and Jezebel is currently ruling. We see the most powerful nation. But you know what happened? Something is mentioned. What happened in his reign? You will see. First Kings Chapter 16, verses 33 and 34. Ahab made a wooden image. If you look at the previous verses, you will talk about a whole list of evil things he did. This is the last. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Okay? And it is true. If you look at 46, the fake 46, he is doing more to provoke the God of America than all the presidents before him. If you look at his executive orders, okay, if you look at his executive orders, he is doing more to provoke the God of America, which is in their constitution, okay? In God we trust. He's doing more to provoke. And you know what the Bible says? In his days, in his day, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. Where did he come from? He came from the house of God. Okay, he built Jericho, the cursed city. And he laid his foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. And with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. You see that? That is what happens. Their children, okay? Literally, in his case, his children have been given over. Look at his history. You don't play with God. God's word always stands. It will never fall to the ground. It will never go void. It will never go void. So God says, it will come to pass. So if you go back to Judges and chapter 3, and you go to words, uh, the words we looked, the city of Palms, right? There he is. He took possession of the city of Palms. But when Israel cried out, Okay, so the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. So what, what have you ended up? You, the child of God, have ended up serving your flesh. 
The problem is by the time you have reached 18 years, verse 17 says, flesh has become very, very strong. Now, Iglon was a very fat man. Imagine if you have serving your flesh. Now, it is not just sin, it has become iniquity. Your flesh is very, very strong. That is why these things, that so it's good for children to come to know the Lord early. And they have to be taught to deal with their flesh early. If you don't learn to deal with your flesh early, the older you grow, the flesh grows side by side. If you don't learn to kill it. And you will come to a point as you grow older and your faculties are actually diminishing, flesh takes over. Takes over. That's talking about Esau. Now he knows what is true, what is right. He knows his brother has taken. He's crying, but he's not able to change. Okay, and that's 18 years. Flesh is strong. Flesh is powerful. And if you go back to verse 14 and 15, you will see, when they cried, children of Israel, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud. So we saw that about Ehud. He's a left-handed man with a withered right hand. Yesterday we saw about God saying, stretch forth your right hand. Okay, so God will raise up a deliverer. And what is he known for? The deliverer whom God raises is not known for his strength. He's known for his weakness, which is very strange because that's not the way it is in the world. In the world, you're always known for your strength. Ask yourself in this kingdom, ask yourself in this, what are you known for? Why did God pick you? Forget how the world looks at you. Why did God pick you? I know why God picked me because I had never spoken in public. If you ask me what was my weakness, even yesterday one of my kids said, uh, Daddy PJ, I will do some of your messages because still you make mistakes when you speak. I said, yes, honey, that is my weakness. That's why he picked me. Which is true. But still, if you look at it, I still make mistakes when I speak. He said, um, um, he said, Ganpa, some of your pronunciations are wrong. I said, my wife tells me every time. Including when I, I used to say typically Indian where Donald Trump, she says it's not Donald, it's Donald. I said, okay, it's Donald. Okay. You know, pronunciation, grammar, language, these are stuff I did not have. But you know why God picked me? Because I did not have. And first Corinthians chapter one and verse 27 to 29. 27 to 29, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Why has Ehud? Why was Ehud picked? To teach us. Not for their sake. <laughs> for they, they didn't learn any of the lessons from Ehud. We are learning lessons from Ehud. Why did God pick a left-handed man with a withered hand to overcome flesh? To say that, you know what? I am picking somebody who's weak. You look at him, this is a guy you will never pick. And this is the principle throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible. This is the Bible. God picks people who are actually weak. Then he makes them strong in him. Okay? So when flesh reigns, then at the throne, unbelief is reigning. Yet God will use our weaknesses to overcome flesh. Lean on God and to deliver us. Word 16, we looked in detail. 
that he made a he made a dagger. It was double-edged and he made. He did not buy. He made. You have to make by yourself the instruments that will destroy your flesh. Because only you know your flesh. What I use to destroy my flesh may not work for you. There may be general principles, but you need specific instruments. Everyone's flesh is not the same. Each one's struggle is different. So it is not custom-made. It is handmade, personally handmade. Okay, there. And God will use that. We look that in detail, verse 16. Now we come to verse 17. We saw that also the Lord had fallen upon him, I believe, and he is picked. Otherwise they would have never picked him. So he brought tribute. It's interesting the word that is used. He brought tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. The word tribute is a very common word that is used in Hebrew for also tithe. Principle, if you don't give to God what belongs to God, you will end up giving to the devil what belongs to God. It's a simple principle. If you don't give your body over to God, your body will be taken over by the devil. If you don't give your possessions over to God, your possessions will end up being taken over by the devil. You will end up paying your tithes to the devil. And the principle is there, very clear. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have you robbed you? In tithes and offerings. We can put tribute there. <laughs> you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. <laughs> He's talking to Israel. Okay, picture why you are serving Iglon now. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor he shall the wine to fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. He says, you know what? You didn't give me what was supposed to be. Instead, the devourer has come. You see, if you had given to me joyfully, cheerfully, you would have been a delightful people. Instead, what happened? What was mine? You were indulging in the flesh. So I allowed flesh to rule. Now, do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy it? He says. You didn't give to me who wanted to bless you. So now you are paying a tyrant. Flesh is a tyrant. It's never, ever satisfied. He actually begins by pleasing you and ends up by oppressing you. So what happens? If you don't give our bodies over to God, God will take his hands off and we'll hand our bodies over to the enemy. And what do we end up as? We end up as alcoholics, drug addicts, sex addicts, gamblers, given over to the destroyer. We call it compulsive whatever disorder. The problem is Iglon is king. And you are paying him tribute. And he doesn't give you any delight anymore. He gives. He's a tyrant. Tyrant. And flesh wakes up in the morning and says, I want my fix. You're no longer ruling. You're no longer ruling flesh. Flesh is ruling over you. You have no control over it. I want my fix. Whatever the fix is. You look at drug addicts and all. Forget drug addicts. 
God has the most sympathy for them. There are other addicts. No? Other addicts. What has become king? Flesh has become king. God says, this is the pattern in Christendom and Israel. He says, if you don't, this is what will happen. You will bring tribute. You should have paid your tithes. I only asked for one-tenth. Instead, now you are giving nine-tenth. Most of your life is given satisfying your habits. Isn't that where all the money goes? All your time goes? Flesh is king. Okay? Go to verse 18. Now, we'll go line by line because we are doing, uh, what do you call it, that study? Whatever study, precept by precept. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he had to present the tribute. There's no joy. Nothing. When you give to God, there was so much joy. Now there is no joy. In the beginning, there was a little joy. Okay. Now when you have become an addict, there is no joy. Honestly, I haven't, yeah, I saw my, sadly, my father becoming addicted to alcohol. There was no more joy. There was no more joy. I seen him when he was vibrant, incredible. Then I saw him failing. And then finally die of cirrhosis, young at 64. Okay, so it is no longer fun. And one good thing about him I always liked about him was that he was never proud about it. He was all, I've seen others sharing their drinks and all. He never shared his drinks and he always hid his drinks. Though we all knew he was drinking, you wouldn't believe he, we had a cupboard like this. Covered like this, not glass, wooden covered, and it was kept there. And each time when he's reading, when it's time to take a sip, he would move from the front room to the bedroom, open it, take a sip, and come back. And he was so ashamed to drink in front of his children. Yet, I remember those things. Okay, I remember that. I decided, I had decided very early, I ain't going that way. And if my father is Addicted to it, is not, is ashamed of it. Why do you need to go that right, right? But people are very, are not ashamed of their addictions anymore. They boast about it. Okay, Iglon, you're paying tribute. And verse 18 says, after he finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. He sent away. Note. Who is this? This is a hood. Not this. Okay. He sent his companions away. Because he didn't want to put their lives at risk. This is his call alone. John chapter 18, verses 7 and 9. John chapter 18, verses 7 and 9. He asked them again, Whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And verse Eight, eight, seven, uh, yeah. seven and eight, sorry, seven and eight. Yeah. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let this go their way. That saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me. I have lost none. You know, Jesus said, this is my battle. It's not your battle. The hood said, this is my battle. This is not your battle. In this battle, I have already decided, I have already forged my weapon, and I already decided I'm going to kill this man. 
but I don't know whether I'll come out of this alive. So you know what? I don't want you to die. In this is my battle. You guys go. You guys, guys go. Okay. So he goes alone. There are certain battles that are yours alone. The cross was Jesus' battle alone. He wouldn't allow the mob to touch his disciples. Nor would he allow the disciples to defend him from the mob. It was his battle. A battle which he had to fight. If you go back to John chapter 18 and read verse 10 and 11, you will see. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malachus. And Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? He won't allow, he won't allow them to join the battle. He won't allow them to defend him either. He says, this is my battle and I have to fight this. Understand what Ehudis did. That's why I said, if you look deeply, you will see pictures of the Savior, the Spirit of Christ in all these people. They're imperfect people, but it was the Spirit of Christ that was working. So you and I need to know the cup that God has called us to drink alone. Drink alone. That's our battle. You don't bring others into it. No? You don't bring. In the kingdom of God, there shouldn't be what we use that term, no? What they, what do they call those casualties? There is a term. Collateral damage, no. Jesus, no collateral damage here. No. It's a spiritual battle. It's your alone. There's no collateral damage here. He sent them. Now you go back. He sent his companions. You're going line by line. Okay? Go back to just, okay? He sent away the people who had carried the tribute. Okay? But if you look the next stage, we will see where he sent them away. 19. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal. Okay? They were, they left, pay the tribute, they left Jericho, and when they reached Gilgal, he stopped. And he said, you guys go forward. And he turned back. And he turned back. Okay? There's a message in every place. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 2. And then 8 and 9. This is after the children of Israel, before they're going to take Israel, the promised land. They cross the river Jordan. And the first thing, before anything, even if a Jericho falls, before any battle, God said something. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Meaning, this is the generation who were not circumcised. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. That was Gilgal means roll away. So it was at Gilgal Israel was circumcised. Circumcision is a picture, the cutting away of the flesh. It's a cutting away of the flesh. I, my flesh has been cut away. Now I am alive only to God. So that is Gilgal. That is Gilgal. Okay? So you have prayed tribute to Iglon, the king of flesh, and you are coming back. Okay? Romba, your journey to glory, 
your journey to doing great exploits for God will begin at Gilgal. If you haven't gone through your Gilgal, you're not going to do anything for God. It's a waste of time. A lot of people try to fight flesh with flesh or try to fight the spirit with flesh. It does not work. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, you will realize the incredible man of God called Elisha. It came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. The starting point was at Gilgal. Okay. Before you can go further, the first thing God says, are you dead to your flesh? Even before you can do anything today, you start each day by putting your death to your flesh to death. That flesh is that spiritual nature of the fallen man. What happens at Gilgal? At Gilgal, you are reminded the reproach has been rolled away. You are not of the world. You do not walk like the world. You do not walk after the pattern of the flesh. You do not. That is what you are reminded. So what happens over there? The Bible says in verse 19 of Judges 3.19, he himself, as soon as he reached Gilgal, the Spirit of God is touching him. Remember your call. Remember your consecration. You have a choice now, Ehud. This is your moment, Ehud. Will you go with the rest of flesh or will you turn back? This is your choice. There's a company of you. All of you went, paid tribute. But you were different. They were paying tribute. You were not paying tribute. You were using that just as a reason to have access to the king. Now you have come with them till here. The question is this. Will you go forward or will you go back? At Gilgal, he turned and they left. The others went forward. He went back to Iglon. He went. What does it mean? It means whenever you are being pushed to go with the crowd who has paid tribute to flesh, you have to reckon yourself dead. I died in my baptism. You go back straight. Where is your starting point of your walk with the world, in the world, with God? With God is in your heart the day you believed, but in the world is the day you got baptized. Go back and tell the world, you know what? I died. I died. I am no longer living in the patterns of the world. I died to this world. I care two hoots what the world thinks about me. I don't care. I don't care what the world says about me. The world thinks about me. I am more concerned about what God cares, says about me and what God thinks about me. I don't want, if I'm preaching the gospel, I don't want it to be a, I don't want to be a nuisance. Okay, I don't want, that's what Paul says, I'm all things to all men, meaning same. I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to be a distraction. Sometimes I find pastors become a distraction because they're trying to act cool. They don't want to be a fool for Christ Jesus. They want to act cool. But then you, you, you shouldn't be cool. You don't have to do any of those things. Just be normal. Don't attract, don't distract. Okay? Don't do anything to the gospel. The gospel should go on a neutral. No, you don't have, don't have this huge screen behind you where the universe and starts and everything going around. Why do you need all those things? The gospel can stand on its own. You know? know, Like they say, no? Skinny jeans, big screen, and fog machine. That's not the gospel. It takes away the gospel. Literally takes away the, the effect of the gospel away. And that's at the Gilgal. 
he stops and he turns back and then he comes. What does he say? He says, O king, I have a secret message for you. Okay, and I will use the word if I'm right. I have a special message for you. What do you do? You come back to your flesh, the stronghold, and you tell the stronghold, I have a very special message for you. I have a secret. Okay? Special. It's okay. Pastor Vijay, it's okay. You don't have to kiss your cheek. I have a very secret message for you. Very special message. You should wake up in the morning and tell your flesh, I have a very special message for you. Oh, king. Okay, because he thinks he is king. Oh, king, I have a very special message for you. What is that? When the flesh says feast, you tell him fast. Okay. When the flesh says fight, the spirit says turn away. When the flesh says submit, the spirit says resist. When the flesh say indulge, the spirit says abstain. When the flesh say weep, the spirit says sing. When the flesh says sing, the spirit says moan, weep, howl. I have a special message for you. Okay. Listen to the spirit. Every day, listen to the flesh and listen to the spirit and tell the flesh, I have a very special message for you. O king, special message for you. And he said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. We are not looking at who is saying, but we are looking at the spiritual pictures. Like yesterday I said about Absalom burning the barley fields of Joab so he could get the attention of the king. Take Absalom out, keep Joab out. But the whole thing is, it's a spiritual truth is that God will sometimes burn, bring your entire empire crashing down. What you have built with your hands, he will bring the whole thing down to get your attention. A righteous man, a man of integrity, of God himself, this is no man like this, is still not up to God's standards. And to bring him up to God's standard, he destroys his entire family. And then he gets his attention. And after he gets his attention, he says, my ears had only heard about you, but now my eyes have. Meaning what he's saying, it was worth to lose all my children, all my property, everything, just to know who you are. I thought I knew you, but now I realize I do not know you. Okay, so God will do things. And you know what he's trying to do? He says, you are my kid and I need your attention. And if you have to burn your barley fields, I will do it. Okay, so look at the picture, the picture over there. What does he say? Keep silence. Why? Because flesh has many voices. One of the voices of flesh is fear. It's fear. Lust has many voices. These are voices. Keep silence. If you do not learn to silence the voices of the flesh, we will not hear the voice of the Spirit because most of the time the Holy Spirit whispers. The flesh is loud. Holy Spirit is, is whispers. And we have to learn to hear the whisper of all my meetings in these 25, 26 years. Literally thousands and thousands of meetings. One of my best meetings was outside Kathmandu in a resort for the pastors. Around 130, 50 pastors were there. I still remember. First day was fantastic. Second day, early morning, I saw one of the pastors. Only one child was there. All of them left their children in their homes with relatives and only the pastors and their wives came. So there was one child there. Early morning in the cold winter, I saw this father taking his wife. He said, no, I don't want this child also to be there because we want to hear what you are preaching. You know, you could literally in that hall hear a pin drop. 
just so silent. You wouldn't believe 150 plus people packed in a small little auditorium away from the city near the Himalayas, Everest. The whole atmosphere is cold. The whole atmosphere is silent and there is a pin drop silence in the hall. Okay. All you could hear was me preach and their pen and pencil going on their paper scratch. Okay. Because you need that silence to hear the voice of God. You know why we are not able to hear? Because there are so many voices. Flesh is screaming. Lust has said so many voices. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Absolutely. Morning, I was thinking, what will I wear? Then I realized, white. <laughs> Simple. No problem. White. <laughs> No, one problem with white is it will go with anything. Greed has a voice. You know that greed has a voice? Proverbs 30 verse 15. Hmm. Proverbs 30 and verse 15. These are the voices of the flesh. Leech has two daughters. Give and give. Hmm? My name is Jimmy. Give me. That is one part of the gospel, no? Give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. That is it. You think doesn't have a voice? Flesh has a voice. From the morning you wake up, flesh is telling you, serve me, serve me, give me, give me, give me. That's what Jesus said. The difference between a believer and a pagan is this. The pagan wakes up and he thinks, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? Okay, it's usual, this thing, but... We'll say it. The poor man will, poor man will think, what will I eat today? What will I drink today? He doesn't worry about what will I wear today. <laughs> okay. The rich man is different. What all will I eat today? <laughs> what we all will I drink today? And then, which one I wear today? And they will open and they will say, I have nothing to wear today. I need to go shopping today. The voices of the flesh. Flesh has many voices. You go back to verse 19, you will see it says, it has many voices. Not only has it has many voices, it has also many attendants. Attend to you. Okay, many attendants. Spirit also has voices. See, you have to understand. Flesh has a voice, the flesh has that voice as an attendant. When you start indulging in your flesh, it is not satisfied. Let us say it is, let us say it is, uh, beer or alcohol. It's not that you want alcohol. It has to be in this kind of a cup after some time. That's my cup for beer. That is for wine. That is for brandy. That is, it has its attendant. Goblets. Goblets, yeah. <laughs> okay. It has its own attendant. We do not realize how we indulge our flesh. Indulge our flesh. Indulge our flesh. Okay. It has its voice. It has its attendance. You have to silence the voice and get rid of the attendance. Like our old steel thali. I loved it. One thali was enough, plate was enough. It had its four containers. Put your rice here, everything over, eat, wash and go. 
But we want ambience. Flesh wants ambience. Spirit is looking for truth. I'm not saying there's anything per se wrong in on this. But if you are hangering over it, if you look on a day-to-day life, if time is being taken away by these things, it will cost you. It will cost you. It will cost you. Okay. There are certain days, yes, keep it for that. But if this is going to be a daily model for you, it is going to cost you in eternity because everyone has been given only a slice of time every day, 24 hours. And if the flesh and its attendants are taking away your time, God says, be careful. So you know what happens? The Bible says, he sent them all out. First you have to silence. Get the principle. Silence the voices of the flesh. Second, you have the isolate all those things that feed to that voice. Send them out. Isolate. Why? Because it is dangerous. And verse 20, Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in a cool private chamber. That's the problem of the flesh. If you keep on pampering flesh, it has cool private chambers during summer and warm private chambers in winter. You know what the Bible says in Romans 13 and verse 14? Make no provision. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Fulfill its lust. We have to be very careful about these things. These things are not given there in isolation. When he comes, Ehud comes to Eglon. You know where he's sitting? He's sitting in his private cool chamber. That's why he dies. That's why he dies. You know why David's family went down? Because at the time of war, at spring, when time at war, he decided to sit in his school chamber and sleep till evening. At the time of war. Okay? So the pictures are there throughout the Bible. There are times of war. There are times of rest. You know, he had his flesh had its own private chamber. Okay? Cool private chamber. And God says, have you built... Cool summer chambers and warm winter chambers in your life that nobody can change your schedule. I know people, Christians, good Christians, nobody can change their schedule. They're good people. You cannot change the schedule. Summer, I'm going to Shimla. It's decided. <laughs> Booked in advance and kept. Even if God has to speak to you and say you have a work to do here in Hyderabad, but it is 45 degrees Celsius I am not going to do it. I'll come back and do it in winter. By the time you come in winter, the work is over. It's done by somebody who says, winter or summer, Lord, I am here for you. You know, a lot of people. And I'm going on a cruise. You now every cruise has been shut down. And they're trying to shut down Tom Cruise or not. <laughs> what is the other one? Our senator that they're trying to cancel him, no? Ted Cruise also. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise had a problem in his sets. Ted Cruise, poor man, went to Cancun during during the Texas is shut down and he went on a cruise. Okay, you see? We cannot do these things. You know why they picked on him? Because he's a believer. Believers have to be careful. Have to be careful. Okay. You have to be very, very careful. They won't pick on a they're not picking on Kumo. Okay, Grandma Killer. They're not picking on him. They're picking on Cruz. Compare this thing. According to the estimate I saw, he's personally responsible for the death of at least 15,000 people. 
who died under his watch because of his specific order. Older people. Somebody's father, somebody's mother, somebody's grandfather, somebody's uncle, somebody's on his personal. Did they pick on him? No. They're covering him nicely. They picked on somebody. And he needs to be picked on. You know why? Because God is allowing him to be picked on, saying, Senator Cruz, you may be thinking you are a senator, but to me you are a son. And I will discipline you. Because your soul is more important to me than your seat. Whom he loves, he disciplines. And sometimes he uses the devil to discipline us. The people of the devil to discipline us. They become the rod of our discipline. So understand how God works. He doesn't work the same way with the world. And he does not work the same way with us. So they may cover the sin, the worst wicked sin. Devil will cover but God may expose of his servant. And you will say, how can God do that? He says, because he's my son. He's my son. Okay, so you have to look at the picture. What is happening over here? Make no provision for the flesh. We have to repent constantly. God will show us, fight these battles and learn from scripture. And you know what? Ehud used brilliant strategy. What did he do? He didn't start a war. Then it would have gone for weeks, months with so many casualties. He went straight for the king. That is strategy. Christ didn't fight with the people. He didn't fight with the Pharisees. He didn't fight, though he had the power. He didn't do any of those things. He went straight for Satan, for sin and for death and finished it off. Yehud went straight after Eglon. Okay? The devil also knows. He also goes straight for your heart and straight for your mind. He got these two things. He's got you. He doesn't go after your toes and your hands and your feet. and He doesn't go any of those. His stomach and all. He doesn't go after any of those. You think he goes after your stomach. No, he goes after your heart and your mind. And once he's got your heart and your mind, he can do whatever he wants with your stomach and your hands and your feet. And God also says the same thing. Give me your heart. Give me your mind. Give me your heart first. And then I will change your mind. You know, so he says in this, we are looking at spiritual things. If you really want to fight this battle and win eternally, win eternally, you have to go after the king. Who is the king? You don't fight Satan first. You don't fight the world first. You fight your flesh first. That is the king. And Romans 7 and verse 18, Paul was absolutely clear in that statement. And this is the man. Why did he win? He understood. He said, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Then why do you indulge in it? Nothing good dwells. You know why he was the most successful servant of Jesus probably ever? It's simply because he went after Eglon. Then he fought Satan. Then he fought the world, but he first went after Iglon. He went after the king. He knew who was his number one enemy. It was his own flesh. We go after our flesh. Okay. Verse 20, we go back. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his school. Okay, silence. Everybody is gone. It is you and your flesh alone in your prayer closet. First he said, in the company of everybody, he said, King, I have a special message for you. That you tell the flesh in the company of others. Hey, I've got a special message. When you're alone with your flesh, you're fasting today. 
What is in your spirit, don't reveal it to your flesh. In the company of others, he will say, okay, okay, snacks all have come, everything come, let us eat. And you tell your flesh, no, I got something better for you. You think from the fridge you will get something there. Then you reach there, you will tell him, I've got a special message for you. Okay? And then Yehud said, by the way, by the way, Yehud says, you know what, that message is from God. Message is from God. For you. I have a message for you. It is from God. See, whenever we use the term God, flesh will first arise think it's a prophecy. No? No? It is from God. And he arose from his seat. Ah, your God is going to prophesy about me too? He arose. He said, yeah, he's got a word for you. Verse 21 and 22. God has a word for you. Ehud reached with his left hand to the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly. His entrails came out. He said, yeah, I have a word of the Lord for you here. That's what you do to your flesh. Put to death the works of the flesh. Is what the word of God says. I have only one word of the Lord to your flesh. Die. It is not one little wound and then put band-aid. No. That's what people do. I cut my flesh. No, that is what Gentiles do. Cutting their flesh. Piercing their nose. No? In all these places, rituals, they, they all cut their flesh. We don't cut our flesh. We kill our flesh. When you cut your flesh, you're indulging in your flesh and asking the demonic to come in. We don't cut our flesh. We kill our flesh. We kill our flesh. He took, the Bible says the dagger went all the way in. Even the hilt went in. It went all the way in. God is, how hard are you on your flesh? And the same man, why he was so powerful, Apostle Paul, 1, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. Why was he so powerful in the kingdom of God? He understood his flesh and this is how he dealt. He says, I discipline. Come to KJV. Discipline is not a very simple word. No, it's a simple word. I keep, is this KJV? Okay. I keep under my body. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached, he says, you know what he says? Mar, mark, marker. Gulam banaya usko. Beat him into shape. How? Through fasting. From restraining the flesh. Doing exactly the opposite of what the flesh says. I have made him my slave. Okay, that's what he's saying, talking about. So when Paul used the dagger, the, the sword of the word against his flesh, he put it all the, he didn't tickle his flesh with the word of God. Thus says the Lord to you, today is the day of indulgence. He didn't say anything like that. Today, every day is the day of death for you. And he says, I die daily. I die daily. Every day, he says. That's what he's talking about. This is what Eglon and Ehud and the dagger represents. I beat my body and make it my slave. Okay, He said, I don't allow my body, my flesh to decide. And what did the Bible say? Sorry, what does the proportion say? He didn't pull it out. He left it there. You have to learn a lesson. You want to overcome, you have to leave the word there. Don't put the word in and take it out through the other ear. Leave it there. 
leave the sword there. Our problem is we take the sword out. We take the sword out. Leave it there. Leave it there firmly in the flesh. Pin it to the wall. Don't take the sword out. Leave it. Because that's the only thing the flesh understands and the devil understands is the word of God. Leave it there. And his entrails came out. What came out? Entrails came out. Now, like voices, what comes out? When the word of God goes in, what comes out will show you what is inside. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 to 21 is what comes out. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries and the like. There's so many. You can put everything into that. Everything negative you can put into that. Of which I tell you beforehand. You know what? When the word of God starts touching you, all these things comes out of the flesh. It all, what is inside, all comes out. Oh, it all comes out. You will realize. This is, this is. You know, there's something over there. I like that. 20, uh, verse 20. Sorcery. No, sorcery is the, witchcraft is the power of the devil which the world uses everywhere sorcery is going on. But if your flesh is dead, sorcery has no effect on you. You know why sorcery has an effect on you? Because your flesh is alive. Witchcraft works on you because your flesh is alive. Your flesh is dead, witchcraft cannot work on you. It cannot work on you. They can harm your body. They cannot touch your flesh. Sorcery has no effect on you. There's no effect on you. Sorcery has an effect on you because your flesh is still alive. Okay. And this is a principle. So when the sword, what comes out? This is what comes out. If your flesh, ignorant stomach, this is what is coming out. But on the other hand, if your flesh is dead and the word of God goes in, what comes out? Words 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What comes out is what is inside. What is not inside cannot come out. What comes out, it will show. So when the sword went in, what came out of Iglon? His entrails came out. Why this gory details written? It is for our learning. Turn me to the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18. What came out? Why is this retail in the New Testament too? Who is this Judas? For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. He says, please don't make any difference that he was not chosen. He was chosen by God, by Jesus. After a whole night of prayer, he was chosen. He was numbered with the apostles. He obtained a part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. He sold his Savior for 30 pieces of silver. You know why? Because his flesh was still walking with Christ and walking in the flesh. Do you know you can walk with Christ and walk in the flesh? He's not walking with somebody else. He's walking with Christ. Ministering in the name of Christ. Healing the sick. Preaching great sermons. Casting our demons. But he's walking in the flesh. And ultimately what happens? He hangs himself. Falling headlong. He opened, burst open in the middle. Same thing. His entrails gushed out. Why? 
Why are these pictures given? PG rating pictures given over there. What is the reason? Why would God? What difference does it make? The difference it makes is uh, John chapter 7 and verse 38. This is the reason. Jesus said, He who believes in me as the scripture has said, oh, no, can, I, can we go to KJV? Yeah, KJV, 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 yeah. Can you? He that believeth on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is belly, basically, which symbolically is a seat of your spirit. What comes out of your belly? Is what, what comes out of your spirit? What came out of Judas after walking three and a half years with Jesus Christ? What came out? He said, this is what came out. But that was not his destiny. He didn't have to be that. You could have been any one of the twelve, but he didn't have to be that. He chose to be that. He chose to be that. Okay, he chose to be that. You know what? If you look at Judas, his problem was money. Somebody's problem could be something else. So ultimately when the sword goes in, what comes out is God is asking. So understand fundamental pictures. We are not looking at anything temporary. We are looking at something eternal. And these are the pictures that is there in the Bible. So we learn the lessons. We have to be very, very strategic like uh, Ehud, how we battle. And this is our battle. This is not somebody's battle. You can't say, please fast for me because I'm struggling with my flesh. What's the difference does it make when you don't fast? When you don't fast. If you fast, we fast along. But when you don't fast and you say, I am struggling in the flesh, will you fast for me? The first question, are you fasting for yourself? Or are you feeding yourself? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So our biggest battle is with flesh. That's why people struggle. They look at the evil people succeeding so much and says, why is it so difficult for us, God says. They are not fighting their flesh. They are living in their flesh. The destruction end of flesh is the end of Eglon, the end of Judas. Two pictures given in the Bible. You could be the king of flesh in the world or you could be a chosen apostle of Jesus Christ. But you walk in the flesh, this is your end. What is inside ultimately will come. When the word of God comes and judgment is set, he says, all judgment has been given to the son. But he says, I myself will not judge you. On that day, my word will judge you. When the sword went in, everything came out. Everything came out. And the word of God judged Judas and everything that was inside came out. So we are very serious about it. We are very, very serious. We don't, do not Take this lightly. We are very, very serious about our walk with God and we fight. We fight our flesh. We fight our flesh. We, we, because we don't allow flesh to be king. We don't allow flesh to be king. We allow flesh to be king, like Saul, King Saul, flesh became king. You know, at the end, his head is cut off, his body is pinned on a Philistine wall. That was the end of him. But about David, who indulged in his flesh in seasons, but repented, came back, hard back, really fought his flesh, came back. The Bible says David finished his race well. He fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and rested with his father. So this morning, that's the message. Monday morning, I know it's a little solid, but we need this message. We have to fight. Well, we, are, we are trying to, in the flesh, trying to fight God's battles. We will lose. We will lose. We will lose. In the flesh. People may be, may be benefited. But you will lose. Under Samson, Israel had rest for 20 years. But Samson lost. Samson lost. 
when Moses, in his flesh, anger, hit the rock. People got water. Even the cattle drank water. And the water drank freely. But Moses was disqualified. Now we are not talking about that level of perfection. We are talking about remaining blameless each day. Okay? Please me. So, did people get water? That's what Paul is talking about. After having preached. People will be blessed. And you don't look at your ministry at all. Your ministry is irrelevant. That is the work of God through you. That's not your work. Don't ever judge yourself by your work. I have reached this many people, I have reached this many, none of this is irrelevant. Your accomplishments in the kingdom of God is irrelevant. If it is your, it is flesh, it is discounted. If it is God, it had, you had nothing to do with it. Just look at yourself. Am I overcoming flesh or not? Am I controlling? Is these things coming out of me? You know why? Because we are not running a temporary race. We are running an eternal race and we do not want to be disqualified. I'm not, he's not saying I'll throw you out of the kingdom because you are a child of God. No, he's saying I will disqualify you for the prices that are eternal. Amen? So we shall pray. I'll call my wife to come and we shall pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. All around the world, especially within the church, Lord, we are just become like the world. Because everything in the world is instant. Instant coffee, instant tea. Press the buttons, it comes out. Nuke it, put it into the microwave. Heat it, ready-made, everything. Everything is, everybody is looking for a quick fix. But in the kingdom of God, there are no quick fixes. There was only one Fix. Jesus died on the cross. After that, he said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It's a daily walk. Every morning we rise up, we realize the flesh is alive and screaming like the leech's daughter. Give me, give me, give me, give me. It's a cry of the flesh. Give me. Indulge in my fancy. It starts from the time our eyes open. Till the time our eyes close. But Father, you are the Lord of our soul. The overseer of our soul. You are not going to let us get away with our flesh. You will discipline us. You will scourge us. Because you have a great and a mighty plan for all your children. We, do, we have seen, Lord, through the Bible, picture after picture after picture. How even a small thing can become a giant later in life if we don't handle it properly. Learn the spiritual lessons from scripture. God used a weak man, a left-handed man, with a withered right hand to bring deliverance to Israel for 40 years. He was picked simply because he was weak in the flesh. About you it is written, there was nothing comely, nothing great about you. Especially when you were hanging on the cross. Everybody turned their face away from you. You were despised of mankind. There was no beauty in you for us to attract. Nothing. Not even like we see in the pictures. You were stripped naked. Anybody looked at you? It was only shame. You were a picture of weakness and shame on the cross. But that is what brought our salvation. That is what was paid for our sins and our iniquity. 
though the, the scorn of man, but was weak in the sight of man, wrought for the great strength of God, Lord. And I pray the church will turn around and see God is looking for weak men and women, for weak in their flesh, weak, weak, weak people, so that their strength can be perfected. His His strength can be perfected in us. Oh Father, oh Father, help us to become weak, that we can truly become strong in You. Oh Father, help us to identify. Help us not to let England rule in our lives. Help us not to rebuild the cursed city of Jericho. We will lose our next generation. That's what happened to America. America rebuilt Jericho and they have lost generations of children. 60 million, 70 million given over to the, the, the abortion lobby. Babies. Oh Father, it was talked about Manasseh filled the streets of Jerusalem with blood. But America has filled the streets with the blood of unborn babies. That's the truth. Because we allowed flesh to rule. They thought it was inconvenient to have this baby. Inconvenient. A baby became inconvenient. A child became inconvenient. A life became inconvenient. Because it would come between the pleasure of the father and the mother. Or going ahead with their careers. And today, you are gasping for breath. But there are people who are crying out, Lord, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Have mercy, have mercy. But our God is a God who shows mercy to a thousand generations of those who love Him. For the same word of God says, when Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer, a weak man. And I see, Lord, you're pulling down all the strong men in the kingdom of God, exposing them raising up simple men and women simple ones the next wave that is coming the next awakening that is coming is not to come from big names and big ministries and big reputations and big money it is going to come from simple men and women who have learned to deal with their flesh in the wilderness who have walked with God in the valley of shadow of death they have known the strength of his rod and his staff. He has led them and he has spanked them and they have walked with him. They have clung to him and when the time comes he will reveal them to the world. And the world will not find nothing great about them. But the greatness of God will be seen in and through them. And I am praying Father for that to take place. Make us one of that. Not one of the world. We want to be one of you. Like you. Like you, Lord. Weak. Weak. Not in strong in yourself. For you said, as you climbed up the mountain, the crowds were at the bottom. And your disciples came to him. And he opened your mouth. And turned the world upside down. If the world changed when the law was given on Mount Sinai to Moses, the world would never become the same after those words you uttered on that mountain. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You changed the complete meaning of blessing, Lord. 
Not those who are rich and haughty and proud and strong, but those who are poor in the spirit, who cry out to you every day, who lean on to you for strength, who cling to your feet. That's what the word of God says. The woman clung to your feet. Jairus fell at your feet. The rich and the poor, they fell and clung at your feet. And they got up, made whole. What was impossible in their lives became possible because they had to come to that point. Come to that point in their life where they had nothing but you. As long as we have something besides you, we are still not ready for God to move in our lives. Each one of us have to come to that point where we realize, I have nothing besides you, Lord. And God will say, you need nothing beside me. I am sufficient for thee.